Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. This episode is a little bit different than usual as it was recorded as part of our Celebrating Jerome Robbins event on March 20th, 2018. In it, you will hear artistic director and principal choreographer Helgi Thomason, associate artistic director of Charlotte Ballet and longtime New York City Ballet principal dancer Patricia McBride, and New York City Ballet master Jean-Pierre Froelich in conversation with Ellen Soren, who is the director of the George Balanchine Trust and managing director of the New York Choreographic Institute. Hope you enjoy. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Celebrating Jerome Robbins. I'm Jenny Scholick, the Associate Director of Audience Engagement, and I'm not going to take too much of your time, but I wanted to say a quick welcome and a few thank yous. So first off, I'd like to thank the Jerome Robbins Foundation for their support of this event here tonight at San Francisco Ballet. 2018 marks the centennial of choreographer Jerome Robbins's birth and is being marked by events and celebrations around the country and around the world. And tonight it lands here in San Francisco, both with the opening of San Francisco Ballet's Robbins Ballet and Broadway program across the way at the Opera House and here tonight with this event. We are incredibly lucky to be joined by our artistic director and principal choreographer, Helgi Thomason, the associate artistic director of Charlotte Ballet and longtime New York City Ballet principal dancer, Patricia McBride, and New York City Ballet master, Jean-Pierre Froelich. These three are not only celebrated interpreters of Jerome Robbins' work, but also worked closely with Robbins in the creation and staging of many of his ballets. And we are also incredibly honored to have moderating our discussion tonight, Ellen Soren, who is the director of the George Balanchine Trust and managing director of the New York Choreographic Institute, in addition to being a director of the Jerome Robbins Foundation and of the Robbins Rights Trust. I know she has prepared a really wonderful lineup of topics and questions to chat with our distinguished panelists about. And so with no further ado, I will turn it over to her. Thank you all for being here. Thank you, Jenny. Now, I don't know how many people here have seen Patty and Helgi dance together, but maybe there are a few who'd have. And so I thought we'd talk a little bit about some of the, um, the partnerships. In tonight's program, two of the ballets are ballets that uh, Helgi and Patty dance together, um, Opus 19, The Dreamer, and Other Dances. And I wanted to just ask you to give a sense of what it was like to work with Jerry, how you, how you knew him, how you met him, um, what it was like to just be in his presence when he was creating uh, a number of the works, many of which were created on, on both of you. <laughs> and there'll be some slides, so that might uh, give you some, uh, some ideas about it. So here we are in, in other dances. I have never seen that photograph. <laughs> no, I've never seen it either. Wasn't it nice to be surprised every once in a while? Um, how did I meet General Robbins? Uh, I was... General Robbins was touring Europe with his ballet USA, and he 
the last stop on the European tour was in Iceland. And I happened to be there because I was working in Denmark and studying. I had gone home for a couple of weeks. And I saw the company and uh, my teacher, uh, a Danish lady, who said, you, you must audition for him. So we asked permission if I could audition for Mr. Robbins, take class with the company. And, uh, of course, the idea was, um, could I become an apprentice or anything, you know. And he said no, because the company was not a permanent company. It was a company that he had assembled, and they were, it would disband when he came back uh, to New York. But he said, let me think, but I will, I will think about it. And a few, few weeks later, or maybe a couple of months later, I received a letter from him uh, inviting me to come to New York to uh, study at the School of American Ballet, which I did. And that's uh, how I first met Jerry Robbins. <laughs> so he really brought you to the... Yes, United he did. And, um, and I remember the first year at the school, or the first winter, I should say, uh, he was preparing to go to Europe again with the second Ballet USA. And he wanted me to come, and uh, he had auditions, and he wanted me to come to, uh, to the auditions. And at that time, I... I got a message from his secretary that I should show up in a certain place in, on Broadway, Broadway Theater, and, and bring you sneakers. And I had no idea what sneakers was. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I had to ask some of the dancers because I didn't speak too much English at that time. And um, I discovered, yes, I... And there were like hundreds of dancers auditioning. And he would just say, no, yes, no, 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 yes, da, 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 whatever. So I ended up being one of the saying yes. So, and this went on, and the group got narrow, smaller and smaller and smaller. And finally, um, I think the last group was like maybe five or six of us. And at that time, he was using a studio in, at the uh, Carnegie Hall. And you know, I was getting very excited. You know, I'm going to get into this company <laughs> and work with Jerome Robbins. And he said, um, took me aside and said, "No, you're doing very well. I just wanted to follow your progress, how you were doing." <laughs> but he said, "You know, you are classically trained, and you should, you know, take care of that and do that first. This stuff, what I'm doing right now, you can always do later." And uh, that was a very big disappointment to me, but in a way, he, it was very wise of him to suggest that because I ended up uh, not only first with Joffrey, then with Harkness, but finally with New York City Ballet, where I got to dance with this incredible dancer here. So, Robbins was right. And Patty, how did you uh, first come across Jerry? What was your experience? Oh, well, I was a student at uh, the School of American Ballet, and um, I was taking, I think I was maybe 15, and Jerry, when he was uh, choreographing the West Side Story, he came to take class, and he and some of the sharks and the jets when he was working on West Side Story came in with the sideburns and here comes Jerry Robbins and you know I'd heard so much about him but I'd never never seen him so so close up and I was terrified and they would be giggling in the back and making all sorts of noise and they take very seriously Anatole Obukov's uh, class and then uh, the boys I was uh, Grover Dale 
Jay Norman and uh, Tommy Abbott would take the class and they would take adagio. They'd stay and do adagio classes with us. And of course we were thrilled. <laughs> but to see him uh, in a ballet class, I mean, this was probably 1958. I think I was probably 15. You know, it was like astounding to see that. And then um, later on, um, I was in the company and I danced many of his ballets. Mr. Balanchine cast them. But Jerry was really busy doing all these wonderful Broadway, Broadway shows, so he wasn't around the New York City Ballet at all. So I, I got to do Afternoon of a Fawn and I got to do um, The Cage when I was very, like, 18 or so. And um, one day, um, I, I believe Mr. Balanchine... Uh, invited Jerry because we were going to Russia in 1962 and I was doing the uh, interplay, his interplay which I loved. I loved dancing all his ballets, even I loved watching them as a student I was awestruck, never dreaming I get to dance Afternoon of a Fawn or The Cage, which you're doing tonight which is so extraordinary but um, then uh, he came and rehearsed uh, at the Old City Center and it was extraordinary just to have firsthand. I had learned from Janet Reed, who I believe was the first uh, uh, dancer who danced, so it was passed from her to me. But it's quite something else to get into Jerry's, um, to be taught by him, and it was amazing. And um, another time was with um, Edward Vallella when I had done Afternoon of a Fawn, and usually Francisco Mancium was a dancer who Jerry trusted to stage his works and uh, Frank taught me The Cage and also Afternoon of a Fawn and I had danced it with several people before Edward Vallella did it. So um, somehow we ended up going to Jerry's Brownstone and he had a studio up on the fourth floor of the Brownstone and we rehearsed. And that was really my first uh, real meeting with Jerry is rehearsing Afternoon of a Fawn. And I know that um, the idea of the ballet came when uh, Jerome Robbins, I had read it. I read up all the story about Jerry. I was like so excited about it. But um, that he was inspired by seeing Eddie stretching in class one day. I guess they used to take class together at SCB. And um, so that was an inspiration. And Jerry would he was so sensitive to things and seeing things of beauty or something that touched him. And he said that that was his inspiration for the ballet. But then we rehearsed it, and it was so extraordinary to be there in his home. I couldn't believe it. And he, I didn't, he wasn't around really coming to the shows, so though. Maybe he just didn't come back. But those were my first recollections of him. And he was extraordinary to work with. What was the first ballet you danced together? Do you remember? What was it? It was. It was not Jerry. It wasn't. Wasn't it? The first of, of Jerry's ballet. Oh, I mean, of Jerry's ballet. Oh, of Jerry's ballet. Probably Goldberg. I think it was ja Dances at a Gathering. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were. No. I remember it well. Was that? I don't know. It was. No, because when I joined the company. He had just started working on Goldberg, and he put me into it right away. Right away. Oh, yeah. right away. So okay. I have the feeling it could have been that. You because came in 70, 1970, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. in Dance at a Gathering, um, the brown boy mm -hmm. role, Eddie was still dancing that. Uh -huh. 
It was when Eddie didn't want to do that anymore that he put me in there. That but was I th- later on. That was it was like a, a year <laughs> after I joined the company, I think. Uh-huh. So I had a feeling it was probably uh, Goldberg. Okay. Yeah. That was the, the longest part of that we've ever done together. It was a very long part of that came in the second half of the ballet that was almost an hour and a half, right? <laughs> and... Um, the, the dancers in the <laughs> in the ballet they they used to just go to, into their dressing room and wait. We were dancing the part of the, this long part of the, <laughs> and one of the guys told me that he was sort of on the lookout. And the cue was, "Is she upside down yet?" <laughs> okay, that's true. that's, that's true. right. It's true. It's true. That was their cue to get out of the dressing room and come back, and then you know. <laughs> It's true. That was She's upside down. Yeah, I had that story too. But he, yeah, it was it was an amazing, and it was such. It was the first time we had something made together, so that was a special, yes. really special to be working with him on that. And he partnered me with. He did all of the. Remember, he would partner me, show me, and then you would come and and you would we would do it. And he had so much information to give us i mean so many steps and we he had enough um information and uh, steps that we could have made two potages with what he gave us i used to tell him that he i i used this is so funny but i said you know you have so many versions and each version is really as good as the other in in my point <laughs> my opinion it was that way but I don't know why he would check, what, you know, pick one version over the other, but his mind was just full of ideas, full of energy, and it poured out of him. And he would go over and over, and he was such a perfectionist that he wanted it just right. And he, he was really hands-on with everything. And but you're right. There, was, there were different versions. I remember that when he was choreographing. Uh, he would give us a, you know passage of eight counts or 16 counts and look at it and uh, he wasn't happy with it but maybe try this version so he would start again completely and that could go on for two or three days and then all of a sudden he would say to me Helgi show me the the, the third version we did two days ago <laughs> and right? somehow he ended up with some really beautiful ballets even though he had so many different iterations of them, which took a very long time. I think, wasn't Goldberg rehearsed something like over a year? No, I think it took two years to choreograph. It was long. <laughs> and we did, we did, um, it never, we were supposed to have a premiere in Saratoga Springs, New York, where we're, it was our summer home. We go every summer there. And we ended up doing it as a work in progress, wearing whatever we wanted to wear. And I remember it was really hard on the pianist. Gordon Belsner was the pianist, and he couldn't decide whether he wanted a harpsichord or piano. So we'd do one day with the piano, one day with the harpsichord. And it was like almost the day of. He had Rosalind Turek, who was an expert, and she was an extraordinary harpsichordist. And he brought her in one day to... to to watch the ballet, I guess it was with the harpsichord, and so they decided that it would be the piano. <laughs> After that, but it it was uh, an amazing process. Anything Jerry did was 
such an extraordinary experience because everything poured out of him. It would t- there was a process to it, but I never got bored. I just was so fascinated, and I loved. I had worked with him many times before Goldberg, so I knew what it was like to work with him. But it was he didn't exactly like to work with huge groups, and this was one of his largest ballets. He always felt comfortable. He told me one time that he loved uh, being close to the dancers and working with small groups, small groups. And this was, I don't know how many dancers, like, like 40 or something, and especially the finale, getting it all together. And um, But it was a monumental success. I mean, it was extraordinary what he achieved in that ballet. And another ballet you worked on was Dybbuk, which is pictured here. You and Helgi originated the, the roles. And um, Jerry told you some things about it. He gave you some things to read. Um, this was an exploration of the Kabbalah. And you've done this piece here, Helgi, at uh, San Francisco Ballet. So talk a little bit about what that experience was like in the, um, in the studio with Jerry and how, how unusual that ballet was. Because, you know, he, Jerry said something about well, we'll get to that in a little while. Go um, ahead. I think this for me was different because uh, when he choreographed, he didn't really want you to have your own ideas what what he was going to do. Whereas in this case, he gave Patty and I the book to read. He really wanted us to understand what this was all about. And that's the one and only time that I remember that he did that. Um, he wanted us to really get into the story. And it Did was an, a, wonderful to work on. I loved working on it. The process was fantastic. It was a wonderful... I loved, I loved dancing it because it was very dramatic and very different from a lot of the ballets. There's always a hint of drama in everything that um, Jerry would choreograph for you. Um, and this was really special, and, and dancing with you was wonderful in it. I felt like the rapport was great, and um, he struggled because uh, we had Leonard Bernstein had made this. The score was Leonard Bernstein's, and he would come in our rehearsals, and he was all flamboyant, and it was so exciting to see him, to see history, and to see the two of them with their uh, the collaboration that they had with. You know, on um, and arguments, free and what? and arguments, and arguments, arguments. But it was, diff- I mean, getting it on stage was difficult. Uh, deciding on the costumes. Patricia Z- Ziprod did these extraordinary costumes. I remember having stripes, and he tried so many different uh, costumes, and it ended up just simply like that, <laughs> just white and pure. But it was wonderful. It was a great ballet to do, and always when you work with Jerry you see the intent and how he shows us the movement quality just seeing his face and the way he the intensity that he has when he's showing something he shows it so beautifully and you just try to get inside his body and do it and we were so used to dancing with each other that it was it was so nice to have another really different kind of ballet and working with him it's always a gift, actually, to work with, have Jerry and the, choreograph. And the intensity from him showing us what he wanted oh. was always there. 
It's still, isn't it still in your mind? You can see him before you showing steps. I, I think you can adjust to that. You, you do a lot of teaching his ballets, and you know about that intensity. Well, how I met Jerry Robbins. Okay, it's my turn now. <laughs> no, I met Jerry Robbins uh, at SAB also, but um, when I was a student, he would come and rehearse New York City Ballet. And he would come and watch men's class and come and correct me, you know, because he took an interest. But what really amazed me, I was going to New York City Ballet when I was 10 years old, right when they moved to Lincoln Center. And... Uh, I went to many, many performances. I saw Patty perform Harlequinade. I saw the I saw the full rep, and always New York City Ballet audiences were very subdued when I used to go. And then when I was at the premiere of Dances at a Gathering, I was a student at 16 years old, and I was in the audience, and I never heard a reception like that at New York City Ballet. The outpour of of people just screaming for this ballet. I just, I'd never experienced it as a, as a young adult going to New York City Ballet. But then after that experience, uh, he took me out of the school to do his piece called Watermill. He asked Balanchine if he could use Jean-Pierre for the figure of youth. Um, and that was in 1972. I think the same year Helgi might have joined when Watermill happened, was created. So I worked with Jerry. I was in the process of Dybbuk, even though I just joined the company. I watched the process, but Jerry was very interesting. When he would choreograph, sometimes he would not choreograph on the people he intended it to be for. He would use dancers, uh, particularly Bart Cook and Heather Watts, uh, many times as instruments to work things out before maybe Patty and Baryshnikov or Helgi would come in for Dybbuk uh, because he always felt New York City Ballet didn't give him enough time to work because they were doing repertory that was so huge repertory that there wasn't any time to really work. So sometimes on layoffs when he would create new ballets, he would ask the company if they would pay the dancers that he needed to come in on the layoff just to work and we all did. But my experience with him as a dancer was fascinating. I mean, he would, he would get upset with me. He would love me at the same time. He would expect more from me. And then my, my most fondest and best memories is, is when I was a ballet master with him. To understand how his mind worked, to understand why he would say certain things in the studio and when we're watching the rehearsals from the audience, what he would say about people that I was actually surprised he, I actually agreed with him, which I was, didn't expect to hear from him uh, about certain dancers that could be better, didn't have enough you know, power in their legs or whatever. But for me, traveling and doing his ballets and continuing a legacy, which is difficult, I have to say. The reason why I say it's difficult, because when I go to companies and even New York City Ballet, there's a lot of ghosts and people that are still alive that have danced these ballets. And, and sometimes Jerry would change versions for them. You know, sometimes there would be a version for that dancer. Because Jerry would like to rework his, his ballets. He would go back in the studio. If you look at the concert now, it was very different in the 50s. 
If you look at dances that are gathering now, some of it has changed over the years. So I remind myself, and when I asked Jerry many years ago, when he was still alive, I said, you know, I'm going somewhere. And I said, what version do you want? And he said to me, pick the version that's best for them. What works for them, which is really important to understand because I danced a lot of his ballets, but I didn't dance every ballet, but I was in the studio with him. And when you, the more and more you're in the studio with a man, you get to know them personally, you, you know their strength, their weaknesses, but also you start to think like them. In other words, you start to mimic them physically in the studio. There was a very good friend of his who passed away many years ago. When I was in Paris, we were at the dinner with Jerry, and he said, you know, you look like Jerry Robbins demonstrating. And, and, and I said, and I felt that, and in front of Jerry he said that. And I felt that as a, a real compliment because these, these ballets are all Jerry. They're all part of who he is and what he is. And the other difficult part, and I think Helgi will attest to that, maybe Patty, Balanchine's ballets have structure. You know, there's a structure to them. Jerry's don't, ha don't really have a structure. It depends on the process and the experience you have with the dancers and having them now uh, like certain ballets to get to know Jerry, it's a little bit more difficult. We were working with him 24-7. We understood him. Dancers that I work with now don't really know Jerry, so it's your job. It's to teach them what Jerry is. And I remember when I was in Copenhagen and Alexei Rodmansky was dancing at the time and he was my first man in the concert that comes on with the chair and the glasses and the scarf. And they never danced the concert before, and the, they had Afternoon of a Fawn many years ago. So they didn't really understand Jerry, and some of these dancers thought I was crazy, because I would stop every five seconds in the beginning for them to understand your, the situations that, it's your, the situation you're in that makes the, the ballet funny. It's not you trying to make it funny. The audience is not stupid, and comedy is, is timing. So you have to play it for what it is, and, and that's what makes it work. So Red Maskey came up to me and he said, JP, you were so crazy, I thought, but I realized you were right. Because when Alexei coaches and, 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 and verses his ballet, he stops every two seconds, too. It's, it's to get the intent. It's the intent, like, like Helgi and Patty are saying, it's the intent of what Jerry meant. Fancy free. It's a play. It's not a ballet. So you have to treat it as a, as a play. Your movements, and what Jerry did, which I'll cut short in a second, Jerry created um, a story with movement. He's the only choreographer I've seen that could create a story with just movement. Watch Fancy Free tonight. They're telling a story without saying a word. You can see their personalities, the sailors, they wear their hats differently. It, it's always about intent, and that's, that's what's really important about Jerry's works. I wanted to ask you, Helgi, to talk a little bit about tonight's program, how you came to choose these particular ballets, what was important about putting them together in an evening for the audience? Well, there was a lot to choose from, and that was the problem, but I just wanted to also um, show an audience Jerry's range, you know, from of course, Fancy Free that he did, what, in the 40s, right? 45. Yeah. And to his last 
on this program is um, the dreamer, Opus 19. And then there's a cage in between. Then there is his love of Chopin with other dances. So I just felt that for an audience, they would really go, get a good sense of, of what, what he was capable of as a choreographer. You know, you said um, at one point that in every ballet of Jerry's, there's an element of humanity. And that's what makes his work incredibly relatable and relevant today. And in each one of these ballets, um, there is clearly that piece of humanity. Sometimes if it's pure dancing, it's still a relationship that's happening. In the cage, it certainly is an incredible story that he took from a a strange um, idea that he had. And Patty, you talked about the fact that Jerry liked to come with an idea about something and really develop it. And you were in the cage um, for many, many years. You want to talk a little bit about, about what that what that's like, um, because it's a really unusual ballet. JP stages it, and it's it's got um, it's it's really about the the insect world and and the and the fact that the female uses uh, the male as their prey. And um, it was very controversial when it first uh, premiered. People were very upset about it. And Jerry said about the um, about the cage. He said, um, "Let me find it because it was a." It was a a good um, thing. He said, I don't see why some people are shocked by the cage. If you observe closely, you must realize that it is not more than the second act of Giselle in a contemporary visualization. (laughs) And it turns out that Helgi agrees with that. (laughs) Patty, you want to talk a little bit about about the unusual quality of of that ballet and what you did in it? Yes, well, it, it's, it's extraordinary. Um, I saw it with uh, Melissa Hayden in Allegra Kent before I got to dance it. And somehow I, I was very young when I was uh, cast to do it. And um, I was really a nervous wreck. But for, uh, Jerry was not in the company when I first did it. I think I was 18. Francisco Mancion taught it to me. Did it many, many years. And as a killer, and Frank did a really, he was a stager like you are, JP, and, and uh, Jerry trusted him to stages like Fawn and, and Cage. But when Jerry joined the company and he started rehearsing with me, it was amazing. It was another, just something that um, was so different than the things that I was doing in it. And bit by bit, slowly, um, and I danced it from when I was 18 till the last season was when I was 46 and he was still rehearsing me in it and he wanted it to her the, the novice to be more vulnerable <laughs> and just to see him do the moments of some of the, the movements um, he had uh, you know they say it's a ballet about insects but he was asking me do a, to do a movement like a squirrel the squirrel's tail, there was a movement, and he, the way he showed it to me was so incredible. And it was just like, you know that? Oh, it's this one. This one, this and, you, and before you do yeah. this one here? <laughs> right. So, and he wanted the, the whole beginning of the solo to be very vulnerable, and like she's almost like a colt, a colt who's trying to get up on her legs, and you know, and so I really tried really hard, and this was 
my last season practically dancing, but he was still working with me. On this particular ballet, this ballet and also the fawn, the details were always there. And I just, he just loved the ballet so much. I think he also cared so much. Well, he about loved it. Patty for sure. He loved Patty. Well, he cared he so much. I was so touched by the way he would work with me, and he cared so much. Um, in every ballet, actually, that I worked with him on. You know, I, I feel but, sorry. I feel what he loved, too, because I remember sitting in front, out front one day, and the stagehands were cleaning up the stage, and the, the, the flies were coming in. He said, JP, isn't this fabulous? How interesting that is. All the, them doing their job, they're working. But what he loved, besides his dancers, uh, I think he just loved being in the studio. He loved reworking his ballets. He would find new things in his ballets. Then he would have some friends, and I said to, to him one day, what's so interesting about this person? He says, I find it fascinating how they analyze my work, and I find things they say that I never thought about, which is it's fascinating. But, I mean, Patty was his... Novice, no. no, it was I, his creature. I just loved working with him from the first minute when he when he came back to the company after his going to Broadway and he had his company, um, and just seeing him work on the dances at a gathering, um, I was mesmerized and I just was in love. I was in love with how he he showed the movements and working with him was extraordinary. We became a family, the dance, the first cast of Dances in a Gathering. We worked 13 weeks, five hours every day, and we would even, off-season, We the, uh, some of the dancers cast would work off-season, actually, and he taught us class. He taught class, and they were dancey, fun classes, and then we'd spend... You know, the day, and we had a wonderful pianist, Gordon Belsner, who was, played every rehearsal, and he played the ballet on stage. And it, it was so fantastic. He started as a pas de deux with Edward Vallel and myself, and you went into Brown Boy. Very after, right? You were the first person after Edward did it. And um, then... Uh, it just was, we were very nervous because here was this great Jerome Robbins and he was starting to come back. And so we were all like keyed up and just Eddie and I said, what are we going to expect? And it took a few minutes and he went going and he went into it and it was magical. And he partnered me and he kind of, it just flowed from the beginning to the end. And he asked, invited Mr. B to come, Mr. Balanchine to come. And he saw it and he said, he said, Jerry is really an amazing choreographer. He told me, he said, he's here because he's really good. And he wanted, he wanted him to make it into a larger ballet. And he said, keep going, keep going, keep going. And he kept adding people and we all became really good friends. Uh, doing it, and I remember um, he had a trouble step. Do you remember the H up Hay step? There was a quick rhythm. Yeah, that H up Hay step, that one. Well, it was like pot de trois, that one. But anyway, we would we went going, and he'd always be wrong in it, and he would laugh. He would. We had so much a, a good time with him. He would laugh, and um, when he couldn't get a step, but it 
developed into being this just masterpiece of a ballet, and it was amazing. I think every, we will all attest to this. When you were in a Robbins ballet, because he didn't use the whole company, there was a certain group he didn't use, but he always picked the same people, but you felt special, you felt like he's created this community that you felt we were all in it together. You know, sometimes a dancer would come up with ideas. He would say, oh, we use that. Let's try that. And if he didn't like it, he would throw it out. But I think about his versions, and I think he was so insecure, though, at the same time, that he never trusted his first version, which is always the best version. It was always the best version. He would have A, B, C, D. The worst part was for the ballet master, who was his assistant at the time. I wasn't, I was still young, so I wasn't doing it. And we didn't use videos. Nowadays, we have videos. It's so much easier. But in those days, you had to write it by hand. And about, which was harder, and then if you weren't on top of, the, on top of it as an assistant, forget it. Your days are limited. Because you had to work just as hard, if not harder. And it was hard. I remember Sally Leland, when she was assisting him, she had all these papers all over the floor, like, okay, which version, A? She went through the papers, okay, there's A. But he was meticulous, and it was, there was such a human side to him that everyone hears these stories about him. Yes, some of them are true, but there was a side to him, I think, to Helgi. He loved Helgi. Uh, it, was, it was Jerry who brought Helgi to New York City Ballet, and uh, and Patty, I mean, he adored Patty. He would, you know, he would tell me about Patty. So, it, it was, it was a family. <laughs> what did he tell you? I, <laughs> I want to hear more. You know, what, what he would say. I, I, I can't wait to see what she will do with it. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. No, but it's true. How she would interpret it. You know, I mean, Patty had uh, a way of making good choices. So, you know. Well, you know, Jerry, really, when, when he made something on, on, when we worked together, Helgi and I, and he kind of trust, he trusted me, and he trusted Helgi, and um, he let us be ourselves. He didn't try to change who I was, and um, I know when we were all learning all these different roles in it, everybody was learning everybody else, and he said, well, what, you know, what, what would you like to do? And I said, I just love it all. I can't decide what it, you know, what it would be. So he put me in everything. I got to do all of these beautiful uh, roles. And I just, the potages are just so fluid and so, you know, lyrical. And the music was so beautiful. And everything was natural, dancing it with him and seeing him do it. Very organic. And he partnered so well. Oh, Helgi was a brilliant partner. I have to say, he was, I watched, he was a natural partner. You know, partnering is not about strength, it's about timing. And he had great timing. It's, it's their natural instincts. Well, and he always yeah. kept me on my toes. <laughs> he always, Helgi always knew where my balance was. You could, you know, and, and, and Jerry, there were a lot of off-balance things. He'd have to go out, come back, do pirouettes. And um, it, we had a wonderful relationship and a wonderful partnership. Anthony Dowell oh, told me a story yeah. about, about dancers at a gathering when he was staging it after New York City Ballet premiered it. He made everybody learn every part. Every day someone was doing it a different version, a different part in it. He would change people around, didn't matter what color you were. And then Anthony Dowell was so frustrated, he finally went to Jerry. He said, you know, we're, we're getting a little bit 
tired of this. Uh, you need to pick the, the dances we're going to dance now. And then he realized, oh, I think you're right. I think I have to do that now. But he was just working and working, and his assistant wasn't going to stop him from working because Jerry, when Jerry was in the studio, he was in charge. It was his rehearsal. But he was tireless. He, he had was tireless. energy, and he would give so much of himself. And, you know, if, if he felt that someone wasn't giving enough, that would maybe make him upset. But he, when he, he felt that you were 100% for you, for, you know, for learning, uh, giving 100% of yourself to him, that's what he wanted. I have a, a very quick little thing that he said. A dancer was upset with him, saying, why are you always getting mad at me and getting upset? Because he, then he said, to, I remember this. I was a dancer. He said, because you can do better. And I know you can do better. And I think that's that he did know that people did not go to, to their real limit and really stretch themselves. So it was it was really interesting. And she was a principal dancer at the time. So you, you had to give 110 percent, not 100 percent, but 110 percent. But I remember when I did um, dance at a gathering, and after our parada, which comes late, there is that very difficult solo. For the for the men in brown, yes, and um, I think he put something in between there at one point. It was a dance in between. Yeah, but the green girls walk right. waltz. So he said, "No, no, I, I I want you to go straight into the solo." And I said, "Wow, that's really difficult." And he looked at me and said, "Well, if Nureyev can do it, you can do it." <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. It became that. <laughs> Well, it speaks to the uh, the great discipline he had, and then he passed that along to his dancers, and everybody worked so hard all the time. And I remember um, when Jerry was leaving the company in 1990, we did a festival of his work, and he was absolutely relentless with it. He, um, he looked for things in ballets that he hadn't had uh, in the repertory for a while, he tried to piece some things together, and in the end, he really didn't add much of what he had done before. There was a reason why he had discarded it. But he, um, a little while before the, um, we had a dark week in the theater, and we were going to check all the ballets, and they were all going to be relit by Jennifer Tipton. Uh, and Jerry was in the park over Memorial Day weekend, and he fell over on his bicycle forward and he got a concussion and we didn't know what was going to happen whether he was going to show up or whether he wasn't going to show up but he did and he did not stop for one second and he was hurting I mean he was not at his best but he really committed himself to getting that festival on and there were two glorious weeks of of his ballets which kept building every night the audience got more and more and more excited and it was really, um, you know, a great tribute to him. And he and he left the company at that point, in such a in such a high. He came back to do, you know, some other ballets, but he he really left in such a in such a great um, great way. And I I always, you know, I remember Peter Martin saying once to me, "How can you work with Jerry? He's so he's such a perfectionist. He wants everything just just so." And I said, you know, I really appreciate it. I always know what he wants. He doesn't ever leave anything unsaid. 
And I think he was that way in the studio as well as as well as at, outside the studio. He liked his productions, you know, simple in a way. The costumes for things like dances and even fancy free, very simple. He liked to show the body, and I I think he I think he did such a range of things that that this program tonight really illustrates a lot of that. And I was curious about JP coming and rehearsing these ballets with, you know, with the company and Helgi having danced a couple of the ballets. How you you must come into the studio. You must welcome Helgi into the studio. Oh, I, I never stop Helgi that. from coming into the studio. Just curious. <laughs> no, I never you, stop her. How you relate I might not, to the I might not let him speak, but I don't <laughs> 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 But he can come in and sit. No, I'm joking. No, Helgi and I know, known each other. I mean, I remember Helgi when I was at the School of American Ballet. I mean, Helgi, Eddie Villello, Patty, these are people I were my idols. You know, we talk about Jerry, this mystique, you know, he's coming in after 10 years away. We didn't have Instagram or Facebook. So the mystery of, I, that it was so, I, I don't know what they really look like. I've seen photos, but I don't know how they really dance. Sometimes I got disappointed, sometimes I was amazed. But I have to say there was a class, and Helgi knows about this class. I was a student at the school, and Stanley Williams was teaching this class. And in that class was Nereev, Eric Broom, Eddie Villela, Helgi Tomasin, Fernando Bujonis before, when he was still a student. And I can name more that became big, big, well-known dancers, but they were young. It was amazing. Uh, but these, Helgi Patty, these are people I saw when I was, was, when I was very young, and then I get, got the opportunity to dance with them and be part of this amazing legacy, not just Jerry Balanchine, and um, you know, you don't, you appreciate it. You don't take it for granted because it's, it's it was special. Really, was special. And so here, you're teaching ballets which were danced by many dancers over, you know, a couple of generations of Jerry's work. And how do you, how do you, how do you convey? the ideas, especially in ballets that have a little bit more of a story like Cage and Fancy Free. You know, Fancy Free was created in the in the 1940s. It was done, I mean, you have to look at it almost historically that there were um, this was a time of war. Uh, the men were afraid. They were going off to war. The women didn't know if anybody was going to come back. Everybody wanted to have a little connection, you know, to to you know have a couple of beers together and to hang out a little bit. And um, and it and it really has a, an innocence to it, fancy free. That is that is very touching in in many ways. And you know. Dancers today have a different view of things. They don't always know the historical context in which things happen, and and um, and and may sometimes look at things a little bit differently uh, in terms of you know male female relationships. Um, certainly, that's true in the cage. And and I just wonder how you uh, convey the 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 um, the integrity and the honesty of well, those roles to the dancers. For me, um, it's it's complicated. I think fancy free is more complicated. Uh, it, to me, it's a historical piece. You have to look at it and when it was made and what was going on at the time. If you watch, uh, but some people get offended by the, the girl with the red purse. Now, I've had rehearsals where I've kind of modified certain things, and I've had dancers say to me, JP, why? Why are you modifying it? 
doesn't matter this day and age. It's a, it's a historical piece, and you have to look at it. it was, it's part of history, so why are you modifying it? So it's kind of hard, but for me, it's, it's to try to... I'm relentless in the studio uh, because I think I'm passionate about them understanding what, who they are as sailors, what they're thinking, what are they there for, what are you doing, are you on 24-hour shore leave, you're going to go back on the boat, you might, you're going to go back to Europe, you have to take this moment, this moment, this 24 hours, and just enjoy it, because you don't know if you're going to come back. And you, you're looking for girls, your first time in New York, you don't know, you know, wow, these big buildings, you know, it's New York, we're going to go and conquer New York. These are guys that are uh, excited. But the, back to the red bag, she, she's flirting with them, and they're teasing her because they realize she's a tough New Yorker. They're having fun. It's like kids in the playground, you know, taking a, a guy's or a girl's uh, briefcase, and they're teasing, you know, throwing it around, and, you know, taking it away from, you know, not letting her get it or him get it. It's, you know, it's like a game. And then, you know how things like you're two guys, big best friends, they're play fighting, and all of a sudden it's not play fighting anymore. It becomes something else. So Jerry was very good at starting something and building it up to a point, a boiling point, and then they realize, she says she's had enough, she leaves. But then again, she must like them because she comes right back. So, but it's a really fine line how you stage the ballet and, and how you coach it. But, but it's really also, it's really the coaching, how you do it. It's how you do it and how you portray it. And you have to live it as the coach. You have to be that character. You have to become them to show it to them. I'd just like to say that it, JP is talking about Fantasy Free. And I think you stage it extremely well. You, you explain so well to these young dancers today. Um, I'm, I'm in awe how, how, how you can convey, get that across to them. And they seem to, to uh, agree to that. They understand it. It's my job. It's, it's what we and, do. And it's you, what we I do. saw you dance it, too. Yes, you did. <laughs> but they're better. In New York City? No, yeah, but they're better. These dancers technically are, are brilliant. And in other dances and um, Opus 19, you come into rehearsal sometimes, you work with the dancers. How do, you, how do you relate to Jerry's ballets that you've danced when your company is doing them? Um, <laughs> yes, I'd love to come in and watch. Um, also, it just for myself, it brings me back to, the, to those days being in the studio, and it just seems so real, like it was just yesterday. Um, but dancers are, you know, they change, they're different, and uh, they have um, a different way of sometimes moving or dancing. But what I, if there's anything that I sort of put two cents in, in, the, in the equation there, it's more remembering what Jerry maybe said to me at that particular moment, or how he wanted a certain intensity in the movement. And if, uh, if I feel it's it's warranted for me to to say to JP, do you mind if I say something or you know that type of thing? But we are all there for the same purpose to make Jerry's ballet um, come alive the way he would have wanted 
to the best of our ability. And for, um, for other dances, which you dance together, the two of you, um, it's, a, it's an abstract piece, and yet it has something very um, unique about it. You know, Jerry made it as, a, as an occasion piece back in 76 for the, uh, the library's birthday. I think it was their centennial, their bicentennial, and, and, uh, and it lived on. It, it was, I think, it first created for um, Misha and Makarova, right? And then, and then you you began doing it at City Ballet. And can you talk a little bit about the the essence of that of that pas de deux? Because it's it's a pas de deux. It doesn't have a story. It doesn't have a a lot of other people who are who are there. It's the it's the two dancers who are relating to each other throughout the the piece. I, I feel that it's it's has the. Uh, the essence of the dances at a gathering, a sort of continuation of what dances at a gathering was. There's a folk feel about it. The movement and the piano, of course, is there. It's one of the most beautiful potages. I just love dancing it, didn't you? Yes, we I We had did. good times doing it, didn't we? I, 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 <laughs> it was yeah, very I, special. As hard as it is. Very but, special. But it's, it's true. It was something about Jerry's love of of Chopin's music that I feel always came through in that part of the, not that it didn't in, in Dance at a Gathering, absolutely but it was just like he had done Dance at a Gathering and all that but it was almost like oh, I just do, I forgot about that I just have to do one more <laughs> and I have to show you one more piece that I want to, to and I just have in, inside of me and I need to get that out um, and I think there was and we were talking about this this morning that we both remember Jerry teaching us that part of the in the studio at the old school. Yeah, he was very careful about you know how when an audience is there, not to sell it to the audience too much. He wanted it simple and pure, and um, he loved being in the studio and watching dancers without ha- knowing that they were dancing for themselves. It was the same atmosphere. He wanted that atmosphere. Crea- you create the atmosphere by the intimacy of the two people working. You know, we would get it from each other. It's dancing together yeah. and relating to each other and relating using everything around you. He said to me once about that, he said... Uh, don't go out to the audience. Mm-hmm. Bring the audience to you on the stage. Mm-hmm. That's what Jerry was very good at, was creating a mood on that stage that you weren't there. You were looking through a keyhole in a private moment in, in a funny way. It's like the cage, the same thing. It's like going, I've said this so many, many times, but it's like you're in a zoo and you're going to the dark pavilion and you see all these glass cases with all these spiders and that's what you're looking at if you watch the cage you're watching this these creatures you know doing this thing and things are happening but I think for for me when I watch other dancers and I and I've rehearsed it and I have staged it a few times but not here my my wife did Isabel staged it but it's it to me it's not just a part it's a ballet because it is two people but there's also a pianist there's a relationship with the pianist and the dancers because when they walk on I'm not going to give it away, but they, they go walk on together and they look at the pianist. And the pianist hopefully looks at them. 
<laughs> and you begin. And it's, it's, it's really a, a, it's not like, okay, I have a variation, bow, audience, next, I have some tricks to do, next, no. It's, it's a mood that Jerry creates, and it's, like a, it's a small little jewel of a ballet that's really special. And not many people get the opportunity to dance this. More now that Jerry passed away, but when he was alive, he was very particular on who was dancing this, this ballet. Many of his ballets, actually. He cared so much about his work. And he, he, oh, I always felt that he really cared about me. And he was behind me. He was very um, positive and loving. And, um, you know, I, I always felt that he liked me, you know. So it was, it was he did. so wonderful. So you wanted to give him back because he cared so much about the people he was working with. You know, I mean, he was many things to many people, of course. But that's family. But yes, it was. That's, no, but that's family. That's you might yell at each other, no. get mad, not speak no. for a couple of days, but you always want the same thing at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. It's part of the, the process of art. I wish we had filmed him, you know, uh, making a ballet. Uh, the process of showing it, showing it, because oh, it was them. so beautiful. We, no, we have rehearsal films oh, of. I mean, while his really? festival was going on, oh, we filmed him rehearsing <laughs> a lot of his ballets, and I like to go back to them. But then sometimes Jerry said to me, "Hey, baby, you're looking at too many videos," because uh -huh. he wanted it to be organic, like we're all saying. Sometimes he didn't want you to the dancer to dance like that person in that video. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Jerry, like for the green girl in Dance to the Gathering, he never found another Violet Verde. And he always tried to get a dancer to be like that. He never could find it. Oh. But he found a lot of brown boys and pink girls and, you know, green and, but the green Real girl, I mean, the, so the special. Yeah, blue girls, but the green girl was, is really a very interesting and complicated and hard thing to do. Well, when we did, um West Side Story Suite at New York City Ballet, uh, it was, we knew that it was probably going to be one of Jerry's last pieces. And it was really important to film him in rehearsal because it wasn't so much that anybody was going to copy what the dancers were doing, but it was more about what he was saying to them. And I remember, and JP, you were in all those rehearsals with, with I Victor. I love the tape. We did a luncheon, and Patty was there in New York. And I love what he was saying to the dancers. I don't want to see ballet boys. You jets have it worse than the sharks, and you sharks have it worse than the jets, which is true. They all lived in cold water flats, you know, no, no hot water. You know, their family were their gang members, you know, because their, 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 their parents were never home, or they both worked, or father might have been an alcoholic, came home and had his beer. Who knows? That's why you have to create a backstory when you do his pieces, but... It, it, it was fascinating to hear what he had to say and how he would be so upfront and honest, which I loved. I think that's what Ellen was saying, how he would just, you knew where you stood with Jerry. You know. Right, and I think, the, I think the wonderful thing about those rehearsal tapes, and I think if you watched them, you would, you would understand so well you know how he he became really a part of that. You know, in, when, the, when they're gonna fight in the, in the, you know, in the, in the scene, um, he doesn't like the way he's holding the knife. He says, "What what do you what do you got it down here for?" He says, "Get get it out here," you know. And he he demonstrates the whole thing, and it's so 
it's so clearly the character that he wants for that person, and yet um, the the dancer wasn't getting it. But then eventually, once he did it a few times, the dancer finally got it. And that's the kind of specific um, quality he had about communicating his narrative. And I think that tonight, particularly in the cage and in Fancy Free, in JP staging, you'll see uh, the kind of specific um, narrative, who those characters are, who they, what their intent is, and what their motivation is, because it was so important to him to, you know, to do that. Yeah, I, 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 like I say too, I said to uh, Sasha, who's doing, uh, Masha, excuse me, Masha, who's doing The Novice tonight, I said, now you got the box, now live it. Be that insect. Be it. If it changes, it's fine, but you know what your intent is. And I think that's, uh, I, that's what I want, and I think Helgi does, and when Patty has her company, directs them. I think you want them, you want to teach them something, you want them to learn something, and learn something about themselves. This is what we do as directors or stagers. We are, we're messengers. You know, and try to create the next generation. And some dancers are perceptive, and some are not. And that happens all over the world. Some, you know, don't open themselves fully to the process, and some think they don't want to open, they want to be themselves. But with Jerry, you have to be something else. Well, this was a very quick hour, and I want to thank you for sharing your experiences with us and your knowledge of Jerry and your passion for what he did and did with you and now what you are now passing on to the next generation of dancers. It's really phenomenal and I think the program tonight will be a wonderful tribute to Jerry in his centennial year and um, I salute you all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. For more podcasts and other audience engagement programming, check out sfballet.org explore.